The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James. Described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writer files for more info and to get a free seven day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writer files. And, you know, writing is like any other skill. I mean, so many people think you just wake up and you're Shakespeare, you're a writer, or you can just spit out a script and get discovered and become an overnight sensation. Like I was joking about at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. And of course, that's not what it is. You know, Tiger Woods didn't wake up being able to drive a golf ball 350 yards down the fairway and putt from, you know, 100 yards as well. It was years and years of skill and practice. And that's what writing is. So, when I had went through this spell, I was like, oh, God, I got to get back into the practice of writing. So now I get up at five o'clock in every morning and I write for an hour, no matter how I'm feeling or what I'm doing. I just put in the time. It's like going to the gym. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files I am your humble host, Kelton Reed. 
And this week, the Tony Award-winning Broadway producer, writer, and entrepreneur, Ken Davenport, stopped by to talk with me about what it takes to consistently create hit musical theater, his passion for storytelling, and lessons for today's business of Broadway. Over his storied career, Mr. Davenport has had multiple Tony Award wins and nominations for his productions, including 2018's Best Revival of a Musical for Once on This Island. His lengthy list of credits also includes The Play That Goes Wrong, Groundhog Day, Awakening, Macbeth, starring Alan Cumming, Godspell, Kinky Boots, The Visit, Mothers and Sons, The Bridges of Madison County, Oleana, starring Bill Pullman and Julia Stiles, and Will Ferrell's You're Welcome America, to name only a few. Ken's a co-founder of TEDx Broadway, whose productions have been produced internationally in over 25 countries, and his one-of-a-kind production and marketing savvy have been featured in the New York Times, yes, a couple times, MSNBC, Fox News, BBC, and even Jay Leno's Tonight Show monologue. His blog and podcast about the business of Broadway, The Producer's Perspective, have also been featured in Vanity Fair, New York Magazine, and The Gothamist, and he's written several books, including How to Succeed in the Arts or in Anything and How to Write a Script in 30 Days. And just a quick note, this episode is marked explicit because we say a word that means poop a few times as my daughter pointed out. In this file, Ken and I discussed why theater is the original storytelling medium, secrets behind the intensely collaborative NASCAR-like process to making a hit, how creating a musical is like getting 17 people to recreate the Mona Lisa, the power of deadlines, the greatest challenge of capturing an audience's attention, why ideas are worth nothing without a shitty first draft, and advice and free resources for writers who want to break into Broadway. And please do us a huge favor. If you like the show, pop over to survey.libsyn.com slash writerfiles and fill out that short seven-question survey so we can learn a little bit more about you, our audience. That's survey.libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com slash writerfiles. It helps a lot. That link is also in the show notes. So thank you ahead of time. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, welcome back to The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by special guest Ken Davenport's here to talk to us about all things Broadway. How's it going today, man? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, this is a little bit different for the show because, you know, we've had a handful of, you know, Oscar-nominated uh, screenwriters and TV writers uh, recently, like a Netflix showrunner, but no one from the world of Broadway. So uh, it's exciting to to get someone like you on here. And I know you're a super busy uh, gentleman. So let's talk about 
Jeez, what you do. I mean, maybe take us back a little bit and explain how you became a Tony Award-winning uh, producer, writer. I mean, you, you are doing a lot of things. You're juggling a lot also as an entrepreneur. So maybe take us back a little bit and, and give us the Cliff's notes about how you got here. Well, sure. Everyone knows that it's really easy and you just wake up one day and all of a sudden you have a Tony Award and you <laughs> had a big, long resume. It just happens, right? <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. you know, and listen, first of all, I'm honored to be your first theater guest. I'm glad you've embraced the theater world because, of course, without the theater, there would be no movies. There would be no television. There would be no radio. I mean, all this started, of course, thousands and thousands of years ago uh, with people gathering together in a cave and telling stories and acting them out. And that's that's where all this modern forms of entertainment came from. So it's it's the foundation for all of it. And the writing is similar and the structure is similar. We just do it live in front of an audience. No, no two takes uh, when you try to do something uh, in, in the theater biz. As far as me specifically, I got my start like most people in the theater industry. We got, I got my start as an actor in my local community theater. My parents dragged me there when I was a little kid. I got too cool for it. I was thought I was going to play for the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Celtics simultaneously. Like I was going to be that kid. And then I was going to be a lawyer, but just kept getting dragged back to the theater. And I saw a show when I was 16 years old, Les Mis, that really changed my life, really got me back into my first love of the theater and really studying it in the craft. And I went to the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, going to be an actor, but then was introduced to the other side of the business when I got an internship, a gopher position, you know, getting uh, on a big Broadway show, getting Richard Chamberlain, his fresh roasted turkey sandwiches cut off the bone and working with producers and press reps. And I became obsessed with the other side of the business. And that's when I started to work on the staff of Broadway musicals, all the while knowing I wanted to create them and produce them. And for about 10 years, I, I worked on the teams of these shows and then started producing about 15 years ago now with this, my very first show is a show that I created called The Awesome 80s Prom, mm -hmm. which was an interactive show that I wrote with some other actors. We improvised it to life, actually. And that was the first show, which led to another, which led to another. And yes, then after 25 years, I <laughs> woke up and have a Tony Award and a long resume and all those things. It certainly doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible, obviously, the list of, of accomplishments that you've had. But you've worked with some really big names some incredibly talented performers and, and, you know, writers and, and composers. So let, maybe for listeners who aren't kind of familiar with all of these moving parts, it seems like on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, as a producer and a writer, you're running up against a lot of different, probably timelines and collaborating with a lot of different talent. So maybe take us through just kind of like, an average day for you? Because, I, you know, I mean, I understand that you're just juggling so many different things. I can't imagine what your schedule looks like or how you even keep your sanity. <laughs> I don't. I'm insane. I am actually <laughs> insane, which is, I think, something that every single person who works in the entertainment industry is. Uh, we are insanely passionate about telling stories and doing whatever we can, including juggling 17 balls at once to try to tell those stories. And I think anyone that works in the business can testify to that. So, yeah, it's a lot. And it requires a real 
a bunch of productivity hacks and efficiency challenges and me to look at my schedule and my how to optimize my to-do list like every month of my calendar. And I had a kid about 19 months ago. So that's a whole other thing and mm-hmm. balancing family with all of it. So it's a lot. But you figure it out. If it's something you really want to do, you end up making time for things. Like writing is something that, you know, a couple of years ago, I was writing a lot more and then I went through a dry spell. And, you know, writing is like any other skill. I mean, so many people think you just wake up and you're Shakespeare, you're a writer, or you can just spit out a script and get discovered and become an overnight sensation, like I was joking about at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. And of course, that's not what it is. You know, Tiger Woods didn't wake up being able to drive a golf ball 350 yards down the fairway and putt from, you know, 100 yards as well. It was years and years of skill and practice. And that's what writing is. So, when I had went through this spell, I was like, oh, God, I got to get back into the practice of writing. So now I get up at five o'clock in every morning and I write for an hour, no matter how I'm feeling or what I'm doing. I just put in the time. It's like going to the gym, right? Mm-hmm. You don't wake up one morning and like, oh, look at my six pack abs. No. After six months, <laughs> a year, two years, eating right, practicing the craft of working out, you get better. And that's what it is. So it's it's making time for things. It's forcing uh, time so that my typical day is the cool thing about being a producer and what I call an entrepreneur or this combination artist entrepreneur, which is mm-hmm. I think what all all artists have to be in the early 2000s still, is that no day is the same. Um, I can tell you the one primary goal I have these days as a producer, as a creator, as someone who is developing projects that require the collaboration of other people. My number one job is to just get people in a room. It's all that I do. It's like I'm trying to balance everyone else's busy schedules as well and saying, do you want to work on a play? Okay, director, actor, me. Let's just get in a room. When people, when you get people in the room, great things happen. So that's what I try to do for most of my day is just figure out when everyone can get in the room because I know something will get created as a result. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, um, you know, I think the fascinating thing about musical theater is that, you know, it's kind of... It's kind of its own, well, obviously like every industry has its kind of, its jargon and its own um, specific language. And you, and obviously you speak that language, but you know, as you said, it didn't come naturally to you, but let's talk about like what kind of how all these moving parts come together. When you get these people into a room, what we're talking about really is (laughs) so many things, music, lyrics, the book, as you say, which you know, maybe you could explain to listeners who might not know what that means, you know, who, who, who do you need to get into that room to start with? Like, what, what does that room look like? Well, a musical is one of the most collaborative of all the entertainment art forms there is, you know, yeah. you want to write a novel, you sit down in a room and you write the damn novel and maybe you deal with an editor or a couple, right? If you want to paint a picture, you sit in a room, you paint a picture, that's it. The film is obviously very collaborative, but the theater and musicals have several writers, right? So 
television can have several writers. Films have several writers, but usually not at the same time. The writers just get fired along the way, right? <laughs> but on Broadway, for a musical, you have a composer, a lyricist, and yes, a book writer who is responsible for the script, which a lot of people will mistakenly believe is just the dialogue. And that is, that's not true. Well, yes, the book writer will write the dialogue. The book writer is also really responsible for the foundation or the structure of the show as well in collaboration with his or her other writers. But that's what the responsibility of the book writer, which is why the book writers, book writer is often the most important task, but often the least talked about. And the person that gets actually the least amount of credit when a show is a big fat hit. Mm. Phantom of the Opera is an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, right? That's how people would think of it nope. as a Vita superstar. He didn't write the book for Phantom of the Opera. Right. So it's one of those things that's so very important. But you're you're all doing this together. And then add in the director, add in the choreographer, add in all the designers and all the other people that create a music, a very collaborative art form. I often say it's like trying to get 17 people creating a musical is trying to get 17 people to paint the Mona Lisa. <laughs> it's like, oh, I want this brush stroke, but what about this shade of color? Oh, but put it in this frame. It's like in this constant thing. It's a miracle that it actually happens well. And every once in a while, someone, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is immensely talented, can do all three, write the book, write the lyrics, write um, the music. Interestingly enough, the other person like that in our in our the modern era was Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent. I think there's a lot of similarities between those two gentlemen, hmm. but it's rare. That's rare. So it's very collaborative, very challenging. Uh, but when it works, it, there's just nothing better. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to me, all those moving parts. And I think, you know, if, if we're just talking about the writing piece, you know, I mean, talk a little bit about, at, you know, as the, as the wheels get turning and you're, you're working towards um, the production and, and that opening night, you know, and I'm sure you've never pulled an all-nighter working in the business, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do them all the time. In fact, I Instagrammed, I Instagrammed an all-nighter several, about a year ago because I got <laughs> deadline with a book. I was putting together a book, which I published called uh, Broadway Investing 101. Uh. And I had actually was going to have it ghost written and I got a first draft and it was so awful that I was like, I got to do this over. And I, I made a, I made a deal with myself. I made a deadline and I was up against the deadline. And I said, well, I can just have to make time for this. So I started at like 10 o'clock. I had like 90 pages to go and Instagrammed every hour where I was with it, including photos <laughs> of my dog sleeping beside me. It was great. Yeah. So yeah, it happens. You just, you, the deadlines, you mentioned this earlier, the deadlines are super important. Having, if you can't hold yourself accountable, I've gotten pretty good at that. But if you can, it's finding someone that can help you become accountable you know, we, we do a, we have a lot of tools. I write this blog called the producer's perspective, and we actually have a membership site now called theater maker studio. And one of the things we do is we have writers groups and Facebook groups and all sorts of things to give writers accountability buddies, people that they can work with to assign deadlines for them so they can get, just get shit done. Yeah. So getting shit done is, is really the, uh, kind of operative, but yeah, you've got this great great um blog and podcast over there at the producersperspective.com which of course i'll link to and point to and um 
you know, it's a great, you know, for, for writers or, or just listeners that aren't kind of familiar, it's a great place to just go and look around and, and kind of check out what's going on over there. Lots of great information and, and tools. And you've written, you know, you've written quite a bit, it looks like. Um, you've written a, a handful of books, right? I have, yeah. And um, including um, some great tools. You've got a 30-day script challenge over there. Tell us a little bit about that. So this is this idea that, you know, I, I know so many people who have ideas for shows. I meet them all the time because I tell, oh, I'm a Broadway producer. I'm a writer. I'm a, oh, I've got a great idea for a play. I've got a great <laughs> idea for a musical. And I often tell people like, well, just write it. Oh, I couldn't. It won't be any good. I don't know. That's not for me. It's not what I do. Or oh, I'll get around to it. And, you know, ideas are actually worth nothing. They're worth zero. And, and I can prove that because the, the government won't even – you can't copyright an idea. You can't. So if you have an idea and someone else does that idea, you can't do – there's no recourse for you, no legal recourse because they'd laugh you out of court like it was an idea. You didn't do anything with it. You didn't put something on paper. Only then can you copyright it. So people tell me they have ideas all the time. I just say, well, go ahead and do it. Just do it. So we developed this 30-day play challenge. And its a, its whole goal is to get people to put something on paper in 30 days. That's it. Very specific timelines, assignments. And by the way, I wrote a book on this, How to Write a Script in 30 Days. But if you want the free version, just go to 30dayplaychallenge.com. Mm -hmm. It works for screenplays as well. It works for musicals. works for anything you want to write. Go to 30dayplaychallenge.com and you can actually get it for free. It just will take you through all the assignments. And we guarantee at the end of the 30 days, you're going to have a script. Is it going to be Death of a Salesman? 101% not. <laughs> it's not. But that's not the point. A sculptor can't make an incredible sculpture until there's a lump of clay sitting in the room that he or she can then sculpt, shape, break off a piece, put another piece on, add water, color, do all that stuff. It's the same thing with a play. Until you have the lump of clay in the middle of the room, until you have that first draft, however shitty it is, you can't have a better draft and you can't have death of a salesman. So this 30-day play challenge is totally designed to just get an idea out of your head to get people to puke it up and to be able to say, look at what I did. One of my, my favorite stories about this and really inspired this idea is John Grisham. So John Grisham, one of the most successful novelists of the last what, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe he wrote, you know why he wrote his first book, which was not the firm, by the way, that was the second one. The first one was mm -hmm. a time to kill. Mm -hmm. He wrote his first book solely because he w said, I wanted to have something on my desk that when people came over for dinner parties, I could say, look what I did. I wrote a novel. So that's all. He got up at four o'clock in the morning to write because he was a practicing attorney. He wrote this novel, didn't think, just wanted to have a novel done. He did it. And then he submitted it to a whole bunch of places and everyone rejected him. So he just wrote another one. And that became the thing. That became the firm that, of course, kicked it off and then actually got A Time to Kill published. He didn't write to like, oh, I'm going to write the next Pulitzer Prize winning play or the next 100 million copy bestseller. He just said, I'm just going to write to have something on paper in front of me because I have an idea. And when you do that and then when you have the thing, that's when the entrepreneur kicks in and like, now what do I do with the thing? Well, you can't do anything with the thing until you have the thing. So 30-day play challenge or anything like it is just an idea to get it out on paper. 
get you started. Well, talk a little bit about, you know, I mean, I know, I know you discussed the lessons about the, the business of today's Broadway. And, you know, it's, it seems like, a, you know, kind of a, um, an exclusive club. But, you know, as you said, you know, this whole, the whole right, even just starting with the script is, is you know, it's a very iterative process, right? Um, getting to be where, where you've gotten today with, with this enormous amount of success and, and uh, being able to, you know, put these incredible numbers together. Talk a little bit about that kind of like how much luck is involved in some of these productions. Why, you know, why is every production a completely different animal? Um, and, you know, and how, and then at this point in your career, you know, how are you able to, you know, consistently achieve, you know, the success that you've, you know, that level that you've gotten to? Well, the amazing thing and the scary thing and but the fun part of it is that you just never know what the audience is going to think of something until you raise the curtain. Mm-hmm. You can do all the data, like driven research you want, and you can have gut into all these things. But until that curtain goes up, you know, that's who plays in musicals and movies and television shows and any form of entertainment like this. It's for, it's for an audience. And they're, they're going to be the ones that chime in and say, we like this or we don't. It's for us right now or it's not. And a lot of that has to do with timing. You know, things just resonate with people at different times in their lives or different times throughout history. Yeah. You know, I, we, one of the biggest hits we've seen on Broadway over the last several years is a musical called Dear Evan Hansen that deals with a teenager going through some serious anxiety issues and a big social media phenomenon and him getting sucked up in it. And the anxiety issue is an interesting one because the story, that kind of story was never told on Broadway before. And I have a, I believe that one of the reasons, in addition to the fact that the story is so beautifully told by its writers, one of the reasons it's resonating right now is that it opened at a time when a lot of parents, especially in New York City, were dealing with teenagers that had anxiety issues, but mm-hmm. no one was no one was talking about them. And all of a sudden, here comes a piece of art that says, "Hey." We're going to deal with this subject. And everyone in the audience is in tears thinking, oh, my God, they're they're talking about me. And I, I haven't been afraid. I've been afraid to tell anybody. And now they're not. And that's what great art does. Mm-hmm. But that's a timing thing. You know, had that open 50 years from, like earlier, might not have worked. Or right. 20, 30, 40 years from now. You know, the same thing. Sure. Shows that are groundbreaking. Look, a hip hop musical on Broadway was a groundbreaking thing for Hamilton. You do hip hop in 20 years, it's not so groundbreaking anymore. Right. So timing has a lot to do with it. You just do what, at the end of the day is you do what you love. You do what moves you to write, to produce, to whatever it is. The one thing I will say that I believe, I, I think about constantly, and I just did an Instagram about this at about a, an, a liquor store, frankly, and the bottle that's jumped off the shelf. It's about being unique. If you follow Seth Godin and Purple Cow or any of this, it's about being bold, being unique, and being different from all the other things out there. I always say that what is unique is what stands out. What stands out is what sells. So being unique and different from everyone else is the best way to get yourself some attention. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that kind of zeitgeist is is not something you can really you know, necessarily put your finger on it and, and as you put it you know until the until the uh curtain goes up you just don't know right you never know i mean yeah. that's you know as much as we'd all say oh i wish there were a sure thing 
I think if there were sure things in this business, we wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know, this is the gambler in all of us. This is the roll of the dice. This is the roller coaster ride. This is taking the big risk. And it's, you know, live theater especially has a NASCAR feel to it. Like you are watching this thing unfold before your very eyes going, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is an actor going <laughs> to drop a line where it's going to happen to a set piece? And frankly, the most important, what is that audience going to do when that line is spoken, or when that song is sung, or most importantly, when that curtain comes down? Are they going to jump to their feet and are they going to tell their friends that they must, must see it? Yeah. Um, we'll talk a little bit um, before we kind of wrap up with your advice to aspiring uh, playwrights. Just talk a little bit about maybe some of your heroes or, or even just um, productions that are inspiring you right now. Maybe a creative muse or two that you want to share with us. So the best advice I can give you is the advice I got from one of those people, a mentor in my business who just passed away a few months ago now, but Hal Prince, one of the most prolific producers and directors. He wore two very different hats in his career. Uh, and he won like 142 Tonys or something crazy. And when I went to him and said, I wanted to be a creative producer, I wanted to create, I wanted to write, I wanted to do all these things. He gave me the advice that I've already mentioned in a way is that he he told me, and I write about this in my my first book, How to Succeed in the Arts or in Anything. He told, urged me to go home that day and produce something, anything. It didn't matter what it was. And I was pitching him like, oh, I want to do like the next, again, Pulitzer Prize winning thing or whatever. And he was like, just do something. I don't care what it is. Something small. Get a bunch of people in your apartment living room. Actually, at the time, my, my apartment only had one room. Uh, <laughs> get your get your people together and read a play, a new play, an old play. It doesn't matter. Just gather people together in a room. Produce something, anything. Because when you do that, something good will come from it and it will lead to something else, which will lead to something else, which will lead to something else. And this goes back to how we started this conversation. You don't wake up with Tony Awards or Pulitzer Prizes or giant royalty checks from movie studios or none of that happens. It's a long process. Yeah. It's commitment and putting in the time and energy. And if you really, really want it, it will work. It will happen for you. You got to really want it. You got to put in the time and the energy and you just got to start doing stuff and keep doing it. The problem isn't that this industry is so, so ha much harder than everything else. The problem is that most people just give up before they've had a chance to really break through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned Seth Godin wrote, wrote another great book called The Dip, right? And yeah, I've read it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good one. And it, and it kind of describes, you know, that again, like most people qu quit when the going gets tough and, and, uh, you gotta push through and, somehow stand out and be that purple cow. <laughs> That's exactly right. I love that. Um, well, uh, talk a little bit about, of course, I'm going to point at um, your great website there, theproducersperspective.com, and then also uh, davenporttheatrical.com, um, which is, uh, you know, more uh, the business side of what you do, correct? Yeah, that's the producing arm of, of what we do. Yeah. And then um, lots of great information, resources. And of course, um, we'll point at your Instagram there, Ken Davenport B-Way. And um, 
that's inspiring and fun stuff there. So talk about before we wrap, uh, just what you're working on now and what's, what's inspiring you to, to keep going. I've got a bunch of new musicals in development, developing a musical based on the vacation movie franchise. So you, the Griswold, you know, the Chevy Chase movies. <laughs> yeah. You've seen him go to Wally World in Europe and Vegas. Well, they're coming to Broadway now. It's a new Fine. installment, new chapter. I'm working on a musical based on the life and music of Neil Diamond, uh, the life of uh, Joy, who became a movie entitled Joy as well. The QVC queen, as I call her ton of stuff and then we're really dedicated to helping people get their shows off the ground as well and the blog and the podcast i have and our new theater maker studio this is stuff that i remember what it was like to be alone i remember what it was like to feel like staring at a blank cursor just blinking at you going god would i ever put anything on the page (laughs) and then when i had something on the page is how do i get it on a stage or how do i get it filmed or how do i get it somewhere else So now that I have achieved a certain level of success and believe me, I want a whole lot more and I'm struggling with it every day. I go through the same challenges as everybody else that I wanted to give back and help. So we've started to put together all these tools. So I'm, I'm really dedicated to not only producing my own shows right now, but also to helping people get their shows produced. Well, it's inspiring to see and um, really congratulations on all of the successes and I'm sure you have many more to come. Uh, before we sign off here, I just wanted to ask, uh, a silly question. Why are, why, why, why is the theater kind of a a superstitious place or, you know, why is it bad luck to wish someone good luck before a a performance? (laughs) Superstitions, I think are, are more in existence in places that have been around the longest. Right. So again, going back to the beginning of this, the theater has existed for a long, long time. So the, you're talking about traditions and superstitions that have just been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. One of my favorites is you're not supposed to whistle backstage. Right. And why is that? Yeah. So the reason is, is because back in the day, the, the drops that fly in, you know, on those rope systems, mm-hmm. the signal to bring in a drop was a whistle. whistle and the flyman would bring in a drop so it became bad luck to do that because if you whistled a drop may smack you in the head so this is again an old tradition based on the historic history of how sets got moved yeah that's cool all right ken well we thank you for your time is there anywhere else you want to point listeners before we uh say goodbye no, listen, my, the biggest thing I'll say is just if you want to write, you can write, you will write, you should write, and you just must write. Just find the time to write. Don't fit, judge its outcome. Just put something on paper and then start to put it up and just slowly but surely, like an athlete, like any other very passionate, committed individual, whatever their craft is, just put in the time of the work. It'll pay off. It just probably won't be as fast as you want it to pay off, but it eventually will. And then one day you'll wake up and be like, how the hell did I get here? But you got to put in the time. Wow. Yeah, that's a great, great piece of advice. Thank you again for your time and um, have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, my friend. Take care. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. 